you maybe have never heard the name Adoniram and Anne Judson. You perhaps have never seen their face and are perhaps unfamiliar with who these individuals are. Adoniram and Anne Judson were one of the first Baptist missionaries sent out from America. Perhaps you didn't know that. We're, we're Baptists too. Welcome to church. You maybe don't know that. But one month after Adoniram met Anne, our boy just fell completely head over heels in love with her. He was smitten. His heart was taken from day one. And he wrote a letter to Anne asking for permission to be her suitor. See, this was before you could just slide into somebody's DMs. You had to ask. And this was like the equivalent of a proposal. Now, Anne, she played hard to get. She evaded the question saying, Adoniram, you need to ask my parents first. And I like that gal. You got to ask my dad. You see, I have, I have two daughters in addition to a son, and I tell my daughters all the time, hey, you will know when the right guy comes along because mom and dad will also know when the right guy comes along. And so Adoniram wasn't deterred, and he promptly wrote a letter to her dad asking for her hand in marriage. And the letter was actually saved. You, you can look it up. In fact, I printed out a copy of the letter, and I have it here with us, and I'm going to read it. And before I read this letter to you, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that Anne is your daughter, and you're reading this letter from a supposed suitor asking for your daughter's hand in marriage. So put yourself in the story, allow yourself to feel the emotions of someone writing what I'm about to read to you and asking for your daughter's hand in marriage. Adoniram writes, Dear Mr. Hasseltine, I now have to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardship and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure of the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this, he asks. For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and died for you. For the sake of the perishing, immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and for the glory of God, can you consent to this with the understanding that you may not see your daughter again in this world, but you will in the next. Dear sir, will you agree? Adonai. And I've never read another letter like that. And what's crazy, Anne's father gave Adoniram his blessing. 
and Adoniram and Anne were married on February 5th, 1812. And they promptly left for India. It's modern day Burma. And true to Adoniram's letter, Anne never returned home. She lost her life there sharing the gospel. In fact, their third child died just six months after Anne. And then just a few years later, Adoniram lost his life there in Burma. And history tells us that no one, no one became a follower of Jesus during the first five years that they lived there. Did they waste their life? Was Jesus worth their sacrifice? Was he worth everything that they lost? Was Jesus worth it? After their passing, others went to kind of pick up the ministry that Adoniram and Anne left behind. And, and what they found left them speechless. Adoniram and Anne, by God's grace, left behind 100 plus churches that had been planted through their ministry. And, and somewhere around 8,000 Burmese believers. And, and today, if, if you go there, there's over 4,000 Baptist churches and over 500,000 different disciples who are multiplying disciples. It is the third largest gathering of Baptist believers worldwide, Burma. It started with Anne and Adoniram Judson saying, I will risk my life and lose it if necessary for the sake of Jesus. I have three kids, and I am fiercely protective of them. See, I grew up in a broken home. And Kim and I said, look, we're going to choose a different path. We're going to break generational curses, and we're going to kind of provide for our kids a life that we just didn't have. And so listen, okay, I spoil them, all right? It's really Kim who spoils them. Okay, we both spoil them, okay? Let's back off a little bit. We spoil them. But what my kids need more than a good education or great vacations are parents who long for Jesus more than anything else in this world and then invite them to do the same. My kids need to learn how to dream about how their lives can, by the power of the gospel, change the world. What, what my kids need is a fierce, unrelenting, give my life, lose it if necessary kind of faith modeled for them so that they will refuse anything less. And we're continuing today in the book of Luke, but we're starting a new series. And we're starting a series called The Cost. 
And really from now until Easter, which is just four weeks away. And I'm pumped about Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. You know, Paul said, if, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. And our faith is not in vain. Amen? Christ is alive. And we're going to get after it on Saturday night and sunrise and in here and LED walls outside. We're going to make a big deal. But for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is, is we're going to walk with Jesus over the last couple of weeks and months of his life. And what Jesus does in the last couple of weeks and months of his life is he kind of turns up the volume. Because people are kind of coming out of the woodworks going, I want to follow you, I want to follow you, I'm all in. But then he doesn't pull any punches about really what that means. Oh, you want to follow me? Great. Here's the cost. He doesn't provide a bait and switch. He says, here's what it means to follow me. And so together over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the last few weeks of Jesus' life and what he said to those who wanted to follow him. So God, today, we ask for an anointing. We ask for your word to be alive. We ask for you, by the power of your spirit, to change hearts and to change lives. God, we are weak, but you are strong, and your word does not return void. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to understand that Jesus offers life abundant and a flourishing life, but it is not easy. It is the Best life imaginable, but it does come at a cost. And so, God, would we, like so many before us, be willing to say, Jesus, you're worthy and you're better than everything else. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, grab your Bible. Turn to the book of Luke. And we're going to be in chapter 9. And chapter 9 is a turning point in the book. And from chapter 9 all the way until chapter 19, Jesus is literally going to march from Galilee to Jerusalem. And you may ask yourself, why Jerusalem? Because in Jerusalem, there's a cross waiting for him. And he's determined, as you'll see in verse 51, to get to the cross. And so Luke chapter 9 will begin in verse 51. I preach from the CSB version. I invite you every week, man, bring a copy of God's Word, either in print or on your phone. I want you to have God's Word in front of you. We'll pick up in chapter 9, verse 51. It says, When the days were coming to a close for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up, he, what's the word? Okay, if I don't ask y'all, I'll keep you here through lunch, you know. So I ask, you have to respond. He what? He determined, that's right, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. So he's determined. This is, this is Jesus, you know, with a steely gaze, knowing that he has to march to Jerusalem, die on a cross, atone for the sins of the world, crucified, buried, but knowing he will rise again. So if this were a movie in chapter 9, this is the big climactic moment when the hero knows in order to conquer the villain, he's got to go into battle. He's got to lay his life down, risk his life. And so that's what's happening. This is kind of a pivotal verse, verse 51 in the book where Jesus says, I'm headed to Jerusalem. And that's where it says he's headed to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is interesting. It's very different from where Jesus has been. He's been up in Galilee 
50, maybe 100 people, small town, villages, rural people. But Jerusalem's very, very different. That town at times would swell to upwards of 100,000 people. It's a magnificent site. It's a city literally on a hill carved out of stone. And the Bible calls it a city of God. And in Jerusalem, man, there's the cross. There's the tomb. There's his resurrection. And he's headed to Jerusalem. Look at verse 52. Well, he, Jesus, sent messengers ahead of himself And on the way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him, 53. But they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, (laughs) look what they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? These are gracious, generous, kind Christians following Jesus here. But, verse 55, he, that's Jesus, turned and rebuked them. And went to another village. This is a very interesting way to begin his journey. So you may be wondering, what exactly is happening in this text? Well, I'll show you, and and let me help you understand by kind of pointing out some things on a map. And so Jesus had been working in the region of Galilee, but he's making a multi-month journey down to Jerusalem. And it's about 125 kilometers from Galilee to Jerusalem. And most people, when they went from Galilee to Jerusalem, they actually went way out of their way and they went around this region of Samaria. And they went around Samaria because in Samaria were the Samaritans. And the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other. They didn't get along at all. And they were arguing and fighting. And see, the Samaritans were half-Jews. They had intermarried with some of their captors. And then they made their own temple. And they had their own Bible. And they had their own religion. And they really weren't true followers. And they were always arguing and fighting with each other. And they would desecrate each other's temples. And they would argue over who was right. And they would fight over who was actually correct. And it was kind of a Hatfield and McCoy's kind of a deal. And everyone that went from Galilee to Jerusalem, like I said, they went way out of their way to go around Samaria. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus actually goes right through Samaria. And when he goes through Samaria, he sends messengers ahead of him, and here's why. I mean, Jesus at this point is incredibly popular, and the towns that he's walking through are small, kind of dinky little towns, 50, maybe 100 people. But Jesus, he's rolling with a pretty big group of people. It's Jesus plus the 12, plus the 70, anybody else that saw it on Instagram stories and came along. I mean, Jesus and his crew was maybe a hundred deep. And so you got a hundred people coming into towns that are maybe only 50 or a hundred in size. And they don't have Costco's. They don't have Ramada's. And so they come in and go, hey, we got a big group. Do you got food? Do you got a place to stay? You got snacks? Can you take care of us? If not, they would go on to the next town. So Jesus stops into Samaria and the Samaritans are like, "Mm, no thanks. We actually don't want Jesus here. You can just kind of keep moving to the next town. See, the reason why they didn't want Jesus is because Jesus was determined to go where? Jerusalem. 
And by him determining to go to Jerusalem, that means he's not staying at their temple and he's not affirming their view of things and he's not saying, you're right. He's saying, no, 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 I'm I'm headed to Jerusalem. And so they would say, oh, no, if you're going to Jerusalem, that means you side with the Jews and you don't want to side with us. And if you don't want to side with us, you need to keep moving. So we're happy to have you on our team, but we don't want to follow you. If you want to follow us and hang out here, Great, but we really don't want to follow you. If you're going to say we're not right, just keep on moving. See, the Samaritans, they were a tribe. They shared a religion. They shared political views. They shared ethnicities. They shared a culture. And and like so many others, their identity was really wrapped up in their tribe. And they're very willing to have Jesus hang out there as long as Jesus joins their tribe. Jesus, jump on in, hang out with us, and we're cool. Here's what the Samaritans were saying. They were saying it's tribe before Jesus. Jesus, you want to hang out with us? You want to be a part of our tribe? We would love to have you. But if you want to tell us to follow you, not interested, please keep moving. And so they were tribe before Jesus. But the reality is it always has to be Jesus before tribe. And everyone has a tribe. Some of our tribes are family, our ethnicity, our culture, Our language, and my goodness, as we've seen over the last year, for some, it's their political persuasion. And as long as Jesus supports your tribe, you're fine with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm God. I don't follow you. You follow me. And Jesus says, I've I've got a tribe that follows me, and my tribe's diverse. We have different races, different ethnicities, different nations, different cultures, socioeconomic backgrounds, but they all follow me. But he doesn't follow others. He's God. And if you study world religions, every world religion has tried to find a place for Jesus in their tribe. Mormons have a place for Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses have a place for Jesus. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, they all have a place for Jesus. Even those who have sort of a vague spirituality have a place for Jesus. Good night. Even Oprah tried to Photoshop Jesus into what she was doing. You know, he helped the poor. He fed people. You know, we, we'd love to have Jesus kind of have a place on our tribe. But let me tell you this. Jesus doesn't join any religion or team or tribe. Jesus is God. And he doesn't follow anyone. No, in fact, he says the opposite. Hey, you follow me. And a lot of people are absolutely fine with Jesus as long as he doesn't act like he's God. And the Samaritans, they didn't want to follow Jesus. But Jesus, man, praise Christ, had an incredible amount of grace and mercy for them, as we'll see in just a minute, but not some of his disciples. Remember James and John, those guys, Mr. Let's call fire down from heaven, guys? These are the type of people that you meet that are like, hey, turn or burn. Get right or get left. Let's roll or become charcoal. Those kind of people, you know? Now, listen. We unashamedly preach Jesus here, but that's not really our style of evangelism. What I do like, though, is that those guys didn't lack confidence at all. You know, they just think, sure, absolutely we can call fire down from heaven. They don't even suggest that Jesus should do it. Hey, Jesus, should you call fire down from heaven? No, they're like, we got this. Jesus, say the word. Isn't Samaria a Greek word for kindling after all? Let's go. I mean, they're confident. But Jesus looks at them and says, oh, calm down, boys. Relax. Relax. Remember why I'm going to Jerusalem? I'm going to Jerusalem because there's a cross. And on that cross, I'm going to shed my blood to atone for the sins of the world. 
your sins and the sins of the Samaritans. And so after I resurrect, I'm going to send you back out. Come back to Samaria and preach the good news. Come back and give grace and mercy. And yes, they're blowing this opportunity, but Jesus isn't deterred. He's patient. So as long as you're alive, there's an opportunity for you to respond to the grace of God. And Jesus is patient with them, and he's patient with us. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that Jesus has been patient with me. Amen? I love that my God has been patient with me. But that's what's happening in this first part in Samaria. They're like, hey, I'm cool with you as long as you follow us. And Jesus is like, no, listen. No, no, no. You follow me. And then what you're going to be next is another guy, and it's a, a little different encounter, but a similar motif here of the cost of following Jesus. And so now look down at verse 57. As they were traveling, so they leave Samaria, on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And look at what Jesus said to him. Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but... The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, here's what's happening. There's a guy that walks up to Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, I will follow you. I'll go where you go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll stay where you want me to stay. I'll say what you want me to say. I'm all in. And Jesus says, hey, whoa, time out. Are you sure about that? Because before you sign up to follow me, let's just... Be really clear about what's true. It's, it's not going to be easy. I'm homeless, I'm broke, and I'm headed for a cross. Are you sure that you want to follow me? And see, what's happened for so long is many of us know the incredible life that Jesus offers us. The grace and the mercy and the joy and the peace and the love that we have walked in and received as sons and daughters. But quite often in order to really help what we would think others want to follow Jesus, we're not always completely honest. And so sometimes people have said, hey, oh, you're sick. You need health. Come to Jesus, man. He'll make you healthy. You're poor. You don't have a lot of money. Well, come to Jesus. He'll make you rich. And then people decide to follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. And like, hey, I'm still broke. And not only am I broke, but my health's not bad. In fact, now I have cancer. Jesus just doesn't work for me. This is not the blessings that I signed up for. This is actually harder than you painted it out to be. And see, following Jesus is the best life imaginable. But it's, it's not the easiest. Following Jesus drove Adoniram and Ann Judson to move halfway around the world and never see their family again for the sake of Christ. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, I don't even know where I'm sleeping tonight. I don't even know what I'm eating tonight. And if you want to follow me, that's Great, but it will be a rough road. And following Jesus means that we would rather be broke and sick and endure hardship, but have Jesus than be rich and healthy and comfortable without him. And Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. And there is peace and there is joy and there is life and there is an eternity waiting for you. But the road is indeed 
hard. And I know that doesn't sound like much of a sales pitch. Like if you were there and Jesus was saying that to you, hey, do you want to be broke and homeless and come die? How many of you are jumping in with two feet? It's not much of a sales pitch, right? It's like those commercials. Do you ever see them on TV about the different medicines that they sell? And they're like, hey, this will relieve joint pain. And then they show you pictures of a guy like playing tennis again, going for a jog. I don't understand why people run. Running is weird. Agreed? Amen? And so, but they're running, and I don't know why they're running, but they're running, and then they're doing this exercise, and life is all better because they took this medicine, and then in the last 15 seconds of the commercial, it says, and may also cause blindness and paralysis. I'm like, blindness? Paralysis? I want my hands to work better, not stop working. That is not much of a sales pitch, and Jesus is not giving a sales pitch here. Do you know why? He's not selling anything. He's offering us a gift. And the gift isn't anything that's found on this world because he is the gift. God is the gift. God is the treasure. Because Jesus is actually what we really need. And he says, I want you to follow me. It's going to be amazing, but it won't be easy. And often in our lives, if we're honest, sometimes we want to make a contract with Jesus. Okay, Jesus, let's talk. Sit down at the negotiating table. Jesus, here are the limitations in this contract. Here's what you can ask for. Here's what you can't. Here's what's mine, and here's what's yours. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I'm not willing to do. Let's go get this notarized. We can review it as needed. We can get the lawyers involved if you want. But let's go ahead and, and, and settle on the terms of the agreement. But listen, Jesus... Completing his mission cost him everything. To become a follower of Jesus means it will cost you too. Because the reality is, church, listen, look right here. What if, just imagine, what if, just imagine, what if this life isn't all there is? Just imagine. What if God never intended this world to be our best life? What if there really is an eternity? What if there really is a place that the Bible says eyes haven't seen and ears haven't heard where we will actually be in the presence of God again? And what if there really is something so significantly more valuable than comfort and health and safety? And, and what if, what if, Missing Jesus' invitation to abandon everything and follow him means that you actually miss the whole point of your life. What if? What if following Jesus really is the greatest thing that you could imagine, even if it's the hardest road you might walk? Apostle Paul realized this letter he wrote to the Philippians. He sort of documented everything that he had accumulated in this world. All of his accolades and all of his treasures and everything. And he kind of laid it out there and he put this list up and he said, man, nobody's list stacks up to what I have compiled. And then he says, I consider it all rubbish. Dung. Poop is what he said. And perhaps other inappropriate words you could think of. He said, that's what it is. 
compared to knowing Christ Jesus, I will lose it all as long as I get to know him. And there's a danger that I feel, and there's a danger that I walk in, and there's tension that I wrestle with. And I bet it's true for you. Because I, I have so many things, guys. I, I have so much of what I really wanted. Incredible family. Gorgeous, amazing wife. Three kids. Have some social status. Have nice car. Love my job. We take some incredible vacations around the world. I got a great church that I'm a part of, but what if we begin to have those things in family and car and job and vacation, and religious activity, and we get all of that, but we don't have Christ. And what Jesus is calling us to is really, listen, to know Christ in such a way to know Christ in such a way that the best things in life, from family to finances, the best things in life don't compare to the treasure of knowing Christ. And Jesus was determined to head to Jerusalem. He was determined to give his life up for you. And then he said, follow me. Give your life up for mine. For the joy of knowing and following me. Everyone is determined to head somewhere. Jesus was determined to head to Jerusalem. He was setting his face. That's what some of the translations say. Setting his face on Jerusalem. Everyone is knowingly or unknowingly determined to head somewhere. And so really the question that I want to ask you is, where are you determined to go this morning? What have you set your face towards and said, I'm going that way no matter what? I'm determined. I'm convinced. I'm convicted. I am resolute. I'm going that way. And what Jesus said is, hey, if it's, if it's not following me, then you're missing the whole reason you exist. And I have a life that you can't imagine. I've got joy and grace, adoption, forgiveness, freedom, life, salvation to give you but it's, it's not easy. It comes at a cost. The best things in life do. So everyone in this room, those of you watching online, those of you who will podcast this later, you have determined to fix your face somewhere. You're headed in a direction. The question is, is it following Jesus? And I know... Like I said, he didn't give this massive sales pitch. It's because he's not selling anything. He's offering you himself as a gift. And man, 24 years ago, I said, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. It's taken me all around the world. It's taken me through tears. It's taken me through heartache. 
I have played the prodigal like we talked about last week, and God has always welcomed me home. It moved me from a family business that was incredibly successful to my first ministry job, didn't know how I was going to make ends meet. <laughs> it moved me from Houston to Tennessee. I'm imperfect and have failed, but Jesus keeps inviting me to following him, and I keep kind of picking myself up and keep going in the same direction. And the invitation is, do you, do you want to go with others like me that have said, we're determined to follow Jesus no matter what? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, why not? Actually, my prayer for you is that you would get so weary with the world that you'd realize there's something better. You'd get so weary in your own dreams, in your own pursuits, that you'd realize that Jesus is all you need. Maybe the best God gift God could give you would just for you allow you to be so frustrated with all your own pursuits that you'd finally be willing to follow him. And maybe that's you today. Why not today, in this moment, right now, say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I will surrender, I will follow. You don't have to know what all it means. We will walk with you and we will equip you and we will plug you in and we will go right along with you. You're not in this journey alone, but if you wanna follow Jesus and give your life to him, then say, Jesus, Today, I ask that you would have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. Do that today. Take the card and the seat back in front of you. Fill out the connection card that is pinned online. Communicate with us your desire to follow Jesus, and we will walk with you and we will celebrate with you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm going to pray, and here's the question I want to put in your brain. is As you follow him, where is your face headed? What are you determined to do as his followers? So Jesus, you're good. You do good. And you are good. You're not good. You're glorious. And you're great. The treasure that we all want for has a name, and it's Jesus. And so God, today, would you save? Would you encourage would you call us to greater obedience? Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you're doing. We do indeed surrender all. We love you. We bless you. In your name we pray. Amen.